we're just going to really dive into, you know, we have been going along this theme, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of really covenant and, <clears throat> man, I'm getting to be like my dad, uh, covenant and really understanding or challenging our understanding of the nature of God. Um, you know, coming back from Israel and really what this whole year has been about with my dad preaching about covenant and, you know, my mom this weekend talking to us about loyalty, it really has been just stirring in my heart a real understanding that really what God is asking us to do is not necessarily to learn more. Um, and I think that sometimes we can come to church, and, and although learning is amazing, and, you know, I came, I went to university and did all those things, and, and so I love to learn, and if you know me personally, you know that I'm always investigating something. But I think that really this year, and what God is doing, this year of beyond our wildest dreams, I don't necessarily think that it's that God is trying to get us to learn something. I feel like what God is trying to get us is to understand his nature, and I think that when we can understand the nature of God and the personality of God and the way that he thinks about us and about life, it's as though everything in our life is going to begin to line up. Like, do you ever have that? I can remember that with calculus. Calculus was like this for me. It was like I did not understand calculus at all until the day that I understood calculus. Anybody know that? That's the way that people say that about chemistry too. Chemistry is like that. Chemistry is one of those things that you either get or you don't get. And it, it's always like that for somebody where you don't get it, don't get it, and all of a sudden somebody says something to you and it's like everything you've learned for the last 15 years, all of a sudden like the light bulb goes off and you're like, oh my gosh, I get this. Now, I think that is what this year is all about. We're coming to a new place, not because of something that we know, but someone that we know. Someone that we become intimate with and understand his nature. Um, so, you know, I, I love teaching, and I, you know, we had a, an amazing young adult men's. We had a, a gathering last night, and it was phenomenal. And I made this statement to them that, you know, we call this a Bible study, but we're not going to necessarily study the Bible. We're going to learn about Jesus. And, and that's really what I endeavor to do. And I know that what my dad is doing this year and we endeavor to do is to really help us to understand this person that we've come into covenant with. And not just the way that we are to feel about him, but the way that he feels about us. Because it's equally important. How many of you know it's important for for me to love Danielle, but it's also important for me to know that Danielle loves me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time we have to spend together. Your goodness in our life, Lord, is overwhelming. That everywhere that we turn, we see your hand of favor and blessing on our life. And we know that it's not because of anything that we did, but it's because of who you are. And so we sit here this evening in awe of your wonder, of your glory, of your majesty, and that you would have laid your life down, come down to earth and die for us. The depth of the love that you have for us, Lord, our, our longing, like John says, we want to know the width, the length, the depth, and the height of your love. We want to so understand the crazy, reckless, relentless love that you have for us. Let it be our lifelong pursuit. In Jesus' name, amen. Does anybody remember Pogs? If you were a child of the 90s, you remember Pogs. Um, Pogs were those little circular things. They were like, I think they originally started as like bottle caps and you could find them and then they started to be mass produced Pogs. 
Remember there was fogs and there was slammers and, okay, we all know we're on the same page. This is very kindred to me. I remember uh, uh, it was this craze. Essentially, if you don't know what a pog is, it was a game. And so you'd collect these little circular discs and you would compete and play and you'd throw slammers down and try to win other people's pogs. It was viral or as viral as things could be in the 90s. Everybody played fogs. I can remember I had sleeves and tubes of fogs that I would carry around everywhere. They were my most prized possession. Now, for anybody who's ever played pogs before, you know there's two ways that you can get a pog. You could do it the way the losers do it in that you go to the store and you buy pogs. But how many of you know the winners get their pogs a different way? The winners don't buy their pogs. The winners find the weak and take the pogs from them. And I had an amazing collection of pogs I could remember. I mean, I had coveted slammers, slammers that won so many pog battles that the graphic on the outside of them was faded because it had been slammed down so many times. I can remember sleeves of pogs and just an endless supply and every night I would count them and I would think about them and I would lay them out and I would kiss each of them goodnight before I went to bed. I loved my pogs. One of the things that was so funny is over time I can remember that as I played pogs and as I collected more pogs, I became more consumed by the pogs that I didn't have than the pogs that I had that my attention went to the pogs that I potentially could win from somebody else than I cared about the pogs that I already had. And now we've all experienced these moments, moments in our life where we just want more. We've all been there. We've all had it. Maybe it was pogs for you like it was for me. Maybe it's money. Maybe it was clothing. Maybe it was a better job, a nicer house. We've all experienced these moments in our life where, yeah, we have stuff, but, you know, we just want a little bit more. And typically, these things are resolved, you know, maybe it's a shopping spree, maybe it's an all-you-can-eat buffet, you know, maybe it's going on an extended vacation or that long overdue promotion that you deserve. But what happens when it's ourself is the thing that's coming up short? What happens when we lose our confidence in ourself? What happens when God's plan for our life seems bigger than ourself? What happens when we want more and don't understand logically how God can add those things into our life? What about when the limitations seem greater than the possibilities? What about when the, as the situation seems more impossible than it does possible? What happens when we know there's a problem, but we don't know how to fix it? We all face these challenges every single day. We all face these moments like me with my pogs where the external world around me is so much more real than my internal reality. When what I don't have, what I can't see is more real to me than the thing that I can see. I think that this very concept is the concept of Christianity. I think that's why scripturally Jesus says that the one thing that he's coming back to look for is not a bunch of happy people, it's not great worshipers, although he loves when we worship him. The Bible says that when he comes back, the thing that he's looking for is a people of faith. People who can believe in him even though they can't see the solution. 
people who can believe in the good nature of God, even though everything in the world around them is telling them that they can't, they shouldn't, or they won't. It's being able to see through the lens of my insecurity, his security. It's being able to look through my limited ability to see his unlimited potential. This is the very thing that God is coming back to look for. He's looking for a people who can defy all the odds and believe for something that's beyond what they can do naturally. This is what we're talking about in our year of our wildest dreams. Is we don't enter into our wildest dreams accidentally. Nobody stumbles into the promised land. David didn't accidentally beat Goliath. Daniel didn't accidentally not get eaten by the lions. We understand that anything that God does through our life, anything that's meaningful, always requires an intentional effort by the person who desires to see the breakthrough. And we run up against these walls all the time because so often in our lives, we know our vulnerabilities better than anybody else. I was saying to the guys last night that it's a guy thing that my entire world could be absolutely falling apart. Like everything could be wrong in my life. But if Danielle comes to me and asks me, how are you? You better know I'm going to tell her, oh, babe, I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. Like maybe I'm like my teeth are chattering and financially we're falling apart. But as far as the world knows, I'm good. You see, so often what we can do in church circles is we can put on the right mask. But our internal reality doesn't match up to our external situation. And until I can make my internal reality like Jesus did when he stood up and calmed the storm, it was the peace that was in him that created peace around him. This is what our wildest dreams and living in a place of our wildest dreams is all about. It's all about, can we believe in the nature of God so much internally that that faith on the inside of me begins to change the world on the outside of me? Not accidentally, but intentionally. That's what living this life of Christianity is all about. Can I believe? You know, we see this very thing happen in the scriptures in John chapter 6 verse 1. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 14 if you don't mind. It says this, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, you know what's funny about this passage of scripture, actually? Okay. Did you know, so this is one of the most famous miracles that Jesus does in the sense that it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. This is so funny. Did you know that John is the only guy who throws Philip under the bus? Like, it's true. It's true. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
they use words like they and them, right? And, and I was thinking, you know, as I was reading this, I was thinking, no wonder Jesus, no wonder John was able to say that John, the one who Jesus loved, right? Because John probably was throwing all the other guys under the bus, right? He's like reminding Jesus. Yeah, remember when he talks, asked Philip to do that thing, right? You remember that, Jesus? Right? He's like self-promoting, right? Anyways, I just think it's so funny. Anyways, okay, where are we? We're with Philip. Okay, for Phil. All right. He said to Philip, uh, he saw a crowd corner, and he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And, uh, uh, and he asked this to only test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each person to bite. You see, as you read this passage of Scripture, you realize that Philip was looking for food, but Jesus was looking for faith. You know, Peter gets a bad rap for all the things that he does. And I always kind of like make fun of Peter. But you know, Peter always gets mad redemption. You know, like for every dumb thing that Peter does, he always does something that's amazing, you know. But I feel bad for these people like Philip, you know. <laughs> like Philip has got like one shot, you know. And he's like, this is, this is how I'm getting in. I would be panicking at that moment too. I was like, for the rest of eternity, I'm going to be remembered by this scripture. So I would freeze. All right. Anyways, okay. And you know, this is the thing is, is I'm convinced that Philip could have picked out of his pocket some lint and Jesus could have used that to feed the 5,000 people because Jesus wasn't looking for bread. He was looking, can you believe? And sometimes this is such a challenging reality in our life because we're constantly like Philip trying to come up with a solution. And this is what Philip says. He says, you know, where, uh, uh, and he asked him, and Philip said, it would take more than half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each of these people to have just a bite. And this is, can we do this sometimes? Where Jesus asks us something, or we get a prophetic word, and he starts talking to us about something, and immediately we step into this mode, or we're trying to come up with this solution in order to figure out how Jesus is going to do this in our life. But I tell you something, Jesus wasn't looking he wasn't looking for a solution. I mean, it says it right here in this passage is that Jesus asked, but he wasn't actually looking for Philip to give him a solution. He wasn't looking for fish. He wasn't looking for bread. He was simply asking Philip, Philip, can you believe that I can do the impossible? You know, it would have been no different. Jesus could have used pocket lint just the same as he used five. I mean, it wasn't enough, you know? Whether he had one fish or three fish or pocket lint or he had whatever, it wasn't about what he brought. There wasn't some magical ingredient that Jesus knew how to turn five loaves and two fish. It wasn't like he mixed them in a certain way that he created this goulash that fed everybody. Philip wasn't, Jesus wasn't looking for a solution. He was asking him, can you believe that I can take this impossible situation and make it possible. And Philip's response to them was, send them away. He was focusing what's not. And so he missed what could be. But thank God for Andrew, right? You know, John is a name dropper, okay? So we know Andrew, you know, God bless Andrew. I mean, like, this is how I'd want to get in the book. 
I'm coming in to save the day. And, and I figure with Andrew at this point, Andrew really probably didn't know what was going on. He just knew that every time Jesus asked something, he really already had a solution. And so Andrew is just like, you know, that overeager kid in class who like before the question is fully asked, they like throw their hand up, right? I kind of feel like this is what Andrew was doing. He was just like, the boy over there, he, he's got, right? He just want, he is thinking, I know Jesus is cooking something here and I just need to get my name in this book. You know, but I can imagine as Andrew brings these five loaves and two fish over to Jesus, you know, Philip is probably laughing, you know, John is writing in his burn book, and Thomas was probably <laughs> doubting. But Andrew understood something. Andrew understood that it wasn't about what he brought. And Jesus responds in the most amazing way because how many of you know Jesus was not intimidated by anything? Like, it didn't matter whether it was walking on the water, raising the dead person, feeding the 5,000. It didn't matter to Jesus in his life. He was not intimidated by anything. And the way Jesus responded was amazing is that he takes the fish and he blesses them. Now, this is a bold move. Because in the natural, like it would be like me having an Oreo cookie and expecting that from this one Oreo cookie, we're all going to be able to eat dinner, right? I mean, like five loaves of bread and two fish is like, a it was enough for a small boy to have a lunch, let alone 5,000 men plus their wives and their children. So we're talking about a potential of like 20,000 people and Jewish people, you know, they know how to produce. So chances are there was like more than, so, so we're talking about like Jesus's response to take the bread and the loaves. This was a serious risk. But how many of you know that Jesus was more confident in his internal reality he was more confident in the God that he knew than the problem he was facing. And because of that, he, all he needed was something in his hand. And he knew that if you could put, it, put something in my hand, I can do a miracle with this. I feel like Andrew caught on to this moment that Jesus was looking for faith, not fish. You know, sometimes in our own lives, we can do this. We can limit God because we're trying constantly to solve things in the natural. I do this all the time where you come up to a problem and you start thinking about all the ways that God can provide a solution in your life. You ever do that? And like you come up with like maybe two or three ways and those two or three ways are impossible. And so you're like, this is it. <laughs> like, this is the end. You know, and God's got like a bazillion ways in order to solve your problem. But can we do that sometimes? Can we face something that seems impossible? And we try to rack our brains and we worry and we stress and we fear to try to come up with the perfect solution that God can work in our life. But this is what Philip did. Philip got busy. When Jesus gave him a promise, Philip got busy trying to figure out how in the natural 
he could come up with a solution to the problem. And we could do this so often in our life where we limit God's ability in our lives because we think in terms of what's possible and what's not possible. We have this ingrained, inbred understanding that we're limited based off of this natural, limited world. And because of that, by our very nature, until we can break free into this place of beyond our wildest dreams, into this place of understanding the person that we're covenanted to, we're shackled to the limitation of this natural world. But I learned something about God's nature. With God, what's left is always greater than what's lost. You know, I realize this, and we've preached about it so often, that the seed will meet every need. Haven't y'all heard that? I, I, I guarantee you that I have preached that at least five times. And that's just me. But I began to realize this very thing that what we have in our hand right now is actually all that God needs in order to get us to our miracle. Isn't this the thing about, you know, when the prophet goes to the woman and she's basically, she says to him, you know, this is my last bit of oil and I'm going to bake a cake and then we're going to die. And what does the prophet say to her? He says to her, what do you have? Because you see, we all have something in our hands that we can offer to God for him to use. Now, the thing that you offer, I, I remember hearing it when I was younger and I could never understand it. People would say, if you have nothing to give, give a button. I can remember going to Kenneth Copeland conferences and people would literally take their shoes off and put their shoes on the altar because they understood something. I just need to get something into God's hands. Because it really doesn't matter the magnitude. There's not a correlation between how much you give and how much you get. God is simply just asking us, can you trust me enough to give me back what I gave you? Now this can be challenging because it's a risk. It's a huge risk in sometimes when God is asking us to do some of the things that he's asking us to do. And so often in our lives, God asks us to do things that seem on the outside as illogical. They seem irrational. It seems impossible. It seems irresponsible to step out in the way he's asking us to step out. What I realized as I read through the scriptures is that God never asks someone to do something rational. It's like I think about, you know, if we combine the two stories of David and Daniel, we know that David killed the lion. And so I'm thinking the logical thing to do for Daniel to do would be kill the lions. God, send some angels down and kill the lions. But how many of you know that's not how God does it? How about when we look at the story of David? Because David is such an amazing story because we watch as this guy, you know, Goliath comes into the camp and he's taunting the Israelites and shaming them and blaspheming God. And Daniel is wondering, why is nobody standing up to this? And so finally Daniel sta or David stands up and goes to Saul and says, Saul, I will be your champion. 
And what does Saul do? Saul gets busy solving the problem in the natural. He says, David, if you're going to go into battle, you're going to face this great warrior. Therefore, wear my armor, because my armor is the greatest armor in Israel. How many of you know David succumbs to a little bit of pressure? Probably because you know, like, you know, when you're cheering, like, I'm going to do it. And then you realize, I'm going to do it right? And that's a big difference. And so he's probably like, yeah, you know, you're right, man. Like, I should put this armor on. But how many of you know, just like the armor didn't fit David, trying to live life in the natural, it will never fit. But as you go on to read about the story about David, you realize that God used, God would have used whatever David threw. You know, that wasn't, it wasn't like the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, where it was like David and the Magic Stones. You know, it wasn't like David found the Infinity Stones and threw the Infinity... Does somebody watch Avengers here? Come on, folks. That was gold. It sounded like there was something special about the stones. How many of you know what made the stones special was David put them into God's hands? You see, as we talk about beyond our wildest dreams, as we talk about stepping into this place, I'm here to deliver a message tonight. In your hand right now is the seed that you need to get you into your wildest dreams. All we have to do is honestly take a good look at my life and say, what do I have to give? Now, you might have a button. You might have a pair of sneakers. You might have a hug or an encouraging word. You might have a million dollars, at which, come talk to me after. <laughs> How many of you know, in our hand right now, I mean, go through the scriptures and realize that God, all God ever asked anyone to do was to simply give them back what they already had. God never requires us to give something that we don't already have. But sometimes what happens is, is we can become so fixated on what we have lost rather than what we have left. I'm here to tell you something. What you have left is everything that you need. I can tell you one of the greatest revelations I ever stepped into about God. And I still pray it and thank God for it every single day that I wake up. Lord, I thank you that everything that I need today in order to be successful in everything that I do, I have. This comes back to understanding the good nature. Why would God ever need us to have more than we have in order to step into the promise that he gave us? How, I mean, how evil would that be, right? It's like, it's like the guy who dangles the carrot in front of the horse, Never with the intention that the horse is going to get to eat it, but all the while willing to lead it forward with the promise that one day I can eat the carrot. How many of you think that's contrary to the nature of who God is? And so because of that, what I've become so aware of is that what I have left, because I used to be tormented about this, when I left my previous life to step into ministry, 
man, it was the biggest thing that the enemy would hammer me with for years. The regret, the, the fear, the pain, the, oh man, you name it. And I felt as though what I left, I felt as though what I lost was greater than what was left. You see, it wasn't until I realized that if I try to hold on to what's lost, I mean, we know this. Your life is full of frustration, anger, regret for something that if you needed, you would never have lost it. But we can live stuck in this perpetual cycle, feeling so bad about what we've lost. Instead of like David as he reached down to pick up those five smooth stones. It's like, God, like Andrew, as he grabbed the five loaves and two fish, Jesus, this is what I have. You know, I've never read a passage of scripture where someone offers something to God and he refuses it. In fact, let's talk about the widow and the widow's might, the story. Where she gives what's equivalent to the lowest denomination of currency. And Jesus says, you see all these people who are throwing in the bags of money. This woman. You see, we get so fixated on what is lost. Instead of realizing that that woman with the widow's might. God is just simply asking us, can you trust me with what you have left? You know what I've realized? As I've walked this Christian life, this was never about me. You know, it's so hard to not make it about you. You know, I mean, oh man, it is so hard not to make this about me. But I got to tell you, this life was never about us. You were never meant to meet a single one of your needs, not a day in your life. My favorite scripture in Matthew chapter 6 says it like this, God knows what you need. God knows what we need. But we can become so fixated on what we don't have instead of realizing God, the God of the universe, who the Bible says, consider the lilies, and that if he would care for them, things that are gone to here today and gone tomorrow, or a sparrow, which literally has absolutely no significance, how can you think that this God, who cares about the insignificant, wouldn't give you every last thing? But what does it require? Just like David, just like Andrew, it requires me to step back and realize Jesus wasn't asking Philip for a solution. It was never about Philip. 
was never about how good he could be, how smart he could be. Philip was just a prop, a potential prop to display the glory of Jesus. You see, this is what Andrew understood. Andrew understood Jesus is not asking me. It's not about me. Your destiny is not about you. The Beyond your wildest dreams, it's not about you. God is not looking for us to figure out a solution to get there. This is why we're talking about covenant, why we're talking about really coming to a place where I, I don't just think about it, I don't just know it, but it, like John 15 says, like I am so in him and he's so in me that trying to separate me from my understanding, it's just not possible. And when I step into a reality like that, all of a sudden my insufficiencies fade away. My insecurities, my fears, my worries, my dreads, like my dad preached about the struggle, the issues, the problems, the circumstances, the situations, all of a sudden they don't matter anymore because you realize this is never about me. My only job, like the scripture says, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. My only job here, like Andrew, when I find myself in a situation that seems impossible, I just, look what I have to give. Turn to Jesus. Give him what I have and watch Jesus turn what wasn't enough into the end of the story is 12 baskets overflowing more than enough. Heavenly Father, this evening, this is who we want to be. This is, this is where we want to live. We want to abide in this place, God, where we are so firmly implanted in your heart and in your reality, God, that there is no separation between us and you, that there is such an intimate knowing, there is such a deep, eternal, lasting covenant between us that we would step into this place of really understanding your good nature, that you would never ask us to step into or be something that you haven't already created a way for us to be that thing. So Lord, in every situation that we face today, every problem, every issue, every impossibility, I'm asking Holy Spirit right now, show us what's in our hand. What do we have that we can simply give to you and watch you turn what wasn't enough into more than enough? Because we know this is what it's all about. It's always been about you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus. 
or you've known about him but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.